Before we get started with this week's episode of The Tangent, I wanted to tell you about the newest podcast from Veritas Catholic Network. Father Sam Kachuba, the chaplain of Veritas Catholic Network and co-host of The Tangent, will be releasing a daily two-minute gospel reflection based off the Mass readings from the day. This is a super quick and easy way to start your day with the gospel, especially if it's difficult to find the time to listen to a full-length homily or podcast. Daily Gospel Reflections with Father Sam Kachuba is now available wherever you get your podcasts. A link to this new daily podcast is available in the show notes. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. <laughs> uh, I, I thought we were playing a game of chicken there. <laughs> that would be a great... First. How great would that be as an intro to the entire show is just... A minute of silence. Everybody's thinking there's something wrong with their podcast. No, it's just the, us messing with you. The next time we have a guest on, we should hit record and then just not speak. <laughs> we'll see how long wait it takes the, them to say well, something. We, we just point at them. We're like, you start. Yeah. You start. <laughs> Our poor guest. Scott Hahn, it's com- oh we're coming for you, Scott Hahn. No, we Number can't three. do that to him. That's no, I know. He's, 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 he's one podcast of our royalty. He's a nice one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, Father, the, the thing that I wanted to talk to you about on this episode is your recent, are we calling it a pilgrimage? Oh, yeah. I, I, I went on a pilgrimage. Hey, can I follow up, though, before I tell you about the pilgrimage? Uh, the last time you and I recorded together, I have a follow up to, to that story that I told. All right. Right. Okay. So the last time we talked, I told you about ordering this bookshelf and it came and yeah. it was like, this is my first world problems confession, right? The bookshelf came and it was not the size that I had ordered at all. And it had mm-hmm. extra pieces that made no sense. And the whole thing, like it was all Chinese and like there was no English translation of the, of the directions or anything. And it was a poorly made, poorly constructed and not because of my craftsmanship, by the way, it just wasn't mm-hmm. a good, a good piece of equipment. All right. So I, I get that and I go, okay, well, this isn't great. Uh, not three days after we recorded, Matthew, a giant package arrives in the mail with the identical bookshelf, still not the right size, still with extra pieces, but this time with English uh, instructions that still made no sense. (laughs) I was like, I'm looking at this. They sent me this. I didn't, I, I never got in contact with the company. Like I never right. got in contact with them. Say so you sent me the wrong thing. Uh, give me like I just said. Forget it. I'm going to eat the cost. I'm not even dealing with this because it's such a pain in the neck. They sent me a second one. Unbelievable. So twice they sent me the wrong thing, even though I only ordered it once. They didn't charge me for two. I checked my my statements. I checked my my credit card. Like I wanted to make sure that I'm not like somehow right. paying You're, for extra I am paying stuff. Double. <laughs> exactly. Nothing like that. They just sent it to me again. I I just took it to the dumpster. I said, I'm done. I'm not even dealing with you this. You didn't even put it together. No, no. I'm just wow. not dealing with this. It's, it was such poor quality in the first place. I'm just not dealing with it. I'm done. Goodbye. That's that's hilarious that they sent you a second wrong bookshelf. Right? They listen to the tangent. They have to. They must. But if you're I, listening- That episode hadn't come out yet. Oh, that's too bad. We had recorded okay, unless- there goes, there goes my no, hypothesis. No, no, no. They're watching. They're watching. watching. They're definitely. We spoke it out loud first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Remember, Big Brother's always watching. Always watching. <laughs> so anyway, I got right. I got a second round of of terrible bookshelf. So yeah, I guess if I had to follow up your second part of your story with the second part of my story, it would just be that my beard has grown in. It did. Yes. That's it's, it. It's back. That's it. You yeah, look a little bit I, more I normal than what facial, I'm used to. Yeah, I have facial yeah. hair again, and that's it. Man. Not funny. Just felt like I had to give an update. Obligatory update to our stories. Sure. Yeah, for anybody yeah, yeah. who's been wondering and, and just really concerned about whether or not Michael can recognize you or not. <laughs> yeah. He can. Good. <laughs> he, some, he still chooses to slap me in the face sometimes, but he can't. That's what babies do. It's perfect. Oh, my goodness. Now, your pilgrimage. Yes, my pilgrimage. Let's let's talk pilgrimage. Well, so is that is that what you're calling it? Uh, yeah, I I actually prefer to think of it this particular trip. I prefer to think of it that way. 
because it right. really it really turned into a pilgrimage uh, more than I even planned on it and more than I okay. uh, had anticipated. It was great. Well, how so? Well, so every year, uh, one of my classmates from seminary, he and I try to get away before Lent, and so we'll we'll just get away and like go someplace typically warmer, <laughs> and and while we're there, like we'll we say mass together every day, uh, we'll play golf, and just kind of hang out. So it's like, it's a good chance to to break from the Northeast, from the cold and right. get ready, get kind of get geared up for Lent. But this year we said, let's, let's just go back to Rome. Hmm. Let's go back. We, neither of us has, has been back in a long time. It's, it was 10 years for him, nine years for me since the last wow. trip. And uh, so we both studied there. So we, we spent four or five years living in Rome, studying in Rome. So we know the city pretty mm-hmm. well. So let's let's go back, but let's do it this way. And we got really intentional about our planning. So Father John and I made made this plan. Father John Reardon is the, um, he's the vocation director in the Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts. Right. So we got very intentional about what we wanted to do. So we chose a different church each day for our holy hour. And then nice. we set up a time each day when we'd say mass. And we stayed at the North American College so we stayed back at the alma mater, which was great. Yeah, was was that like? Um, I don't know. I'm, I guess I imagine in the sense that if I if I went back to Belmont, right? That's where I did my undergrad. Um, it would be like eerily familiar, Eer, like familiar, obviously, because I spent a lot of time there. But eerily, because it would feel like an entirely different place. Because in part, I feel like I'm an entirely different person. You know. So was did you have that kind of eerie feeling while you were there, or? Here's the thing, and, and this goes both for the seminary and for just the city of Rome in general. There's a reason that they call Rome the eternal city. Right. Nothing changes in Rome. It, it is it is the same all the time. And that's part of the beauty, the charm of the city. The North American College, you go over and it always feels like home once you've been there. It's this enormous, enormous building. It is a, a huge place, <laughs> and while you're living there as a seminarian, it it kind of begrudgingly, I think, becomes your home in, in the sense mm. that you go over and you don't get to go home easily. You don't get to come back to the U.S. Uh, on uh, with, with any kind of ease. There has to be a really big reason to come back. Really? And so the, the knack becomes the place that you're always returning to. So every little break from classes – you're coming back to this place. And then you spend, like, for example, your first year, you leave in August uh, or, you, or you arrive there in August, or at least that's how we did it. Now they, they go over even earlier. But you're there for like the tail end of the summer and then the school year begins and you pass your first Thanksgiving away from home. And then Christmas comes and you've got your first Christmas away from home and you don't go wow, home for you Christmas. Go, you didn't go back for Christmas. No, you don't go home for Christmas. So you you end up staying with your brother seminarians and you travel around. You can go to different places. You don't have to stay at the seminary for Christmas. Right, right. But you're you're not home. Right. At the end of the day, you're just not home. So you have this experience then of of coming back to Rome and that becomes the place that's familiar. The guys that you live with, the seminarians that you're with, that becomes the family in place of mm-hmm. your family of blood. Right? And mm-hmm. it's not until you're a deacon that you're allowed to go home at either Christmas or Easter. But you you still have to pick. You, right, you get to pick one. Right. You can you can go home for either of them. And and so it's not until your second year that you go home for the first time, the end of your second year. So I was there for 2 years before I came home. Like actually right. touched wow, American soil again. Yeah. Did your did your family come and visit you? Yes. My parents came over to visit. My brother came over. Uh, my parents and my brother came over my first year. My parents came over again my second year. My brother didn't come because he was in college at the time. Uh, and then my parents came again uh, my fifth year when I was my last year there as a student priest. My brother also came that year. Uh, he came at Christmas. That was my graduation gift to him for college. Uh, I bought him a plane ticket. <laughs> you can come and, visit me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I told him, I said, we'll come over and we can hang out in Rome. We can go anywhere you want in Europe too. We can just like travel right. around a little bit. Right. And right. Uh, so we went to Belgium for a little bit, England for a little bit, and then back to Rome. So that was nice. that was a fun time. You know, not uh, not to take it on a tangent this early on in the episode. Well, um, that's the name of the show, but, so- yeah, yeah. But I actually don't know 
the story of like I don't know how you ended up at the knack. You know, did you oh, did yeah. you apply there? Did you so. What I always tell people is that uh, our bishop at the time, uh, Bishop Lori, now Archbishop Lori in Baltimore, uh, I used to just tell people, Bishop Lori wanted to send me as far away as possible for as long as possible. He just wanted to be rid <laughs> yeah, of me. It. <laughs> that's it. No, so there's there's different seminaries and, and you can send, dioceses will send guys to different places. And so at the time, we were sending guys to Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, uh, to okay. St. Joseph's Seminary in Yonkers to Catholic University, to Theological College at, at Catholic U. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like there was one other. Oh, well, we, we sent some of our, our guys who were like later vocations. They would go to John the 23rd up in Massachusetts. Mm, right, um, right. But that seminary is kind of specific. I think you have to be over the age of 35 to go there. And uh, I was right. 21, or I was going to be 21 <laughs> right, uh, right. at the start of theology. And you were not. So I didn't qualify for John the Twenty Third. I was unqualified right. to be a student there. That's that's right. how I've always described. You were it. younger than the Roman numeral of his name. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and, and the North American College, of course, is is another one. And so, when the the possibilities of where I could go were were coming up, uh, I looked at the NAC and the the possibility of going there, and I thought, well, it's it'd be far. It's outside of my comfort zone in terms of mm-hmm. like being in a different country and being gone for for a period of time but at the same time I know that I have a capacity to learn a language I had spent two summers in Mexico studying mm-hmm. Spanish and so I, I knew I felt comfortable being in another uh, linguistic environment right, so I figured right. well let, let's let's try that out that, that could be interesting um, and maybe I'll get sent over there and it'll work. Maybe the bishop will decide to send me somewhere else, but I might as well at least tell him I'm willing to go. And so when it came time to put in the places that I, I was willing to, they always asked us, which I greatly appreciated. Uh, yeah, they, that's that's a nice courtesy. Yeah. Well, it was like, do would you, you want to go okay? there? Yeah. Because if, <laughs> right. if you don't want to go, if you don't want to like leave your, your country, uh, it's probably not a good idea to go there. And, and there are some guys who right. I know who absolutely don't want to go. In fact, right. I would say there were a couple of guys in my class uh, who didn't want to be there. Right. You know, so that was like right. that, And their that bishop tough. did not ask them. Right. And those guys ended up not staying. <laughs> yeah. Those guys went right. home. There you go. You yeah. Know? So I was, uh, I was willing to go and the bishop decided to send me. Right. That's the whole story. I, I signaled that I was interested and I got sent over. Right. In hindsight, it's a you're glad you made that decision. Best decision I could have made. Yeah. Like without to me without question, it was the best thing I could have done. What what's the what's the factor behind that? Well, I think it's deeply personal. Okay. Uh it's it's not a, it's not even so much about the knack itself, mm-hmm. but it's more about what I needed in my own formation mm-hmm. that I don't know I would have gotten if I stayed on this side of the Atlantic. So when I when I asked mm-hmm. to go over there, I didn't even fully understand what was happening. And I asked is that's not the right word. When I when I, I said I was no willing to go, I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> I, well, here's the thing: I really didn't. I really right. didn't fully understand what this was going to mean, like what it would mean to have to make some decisions independently, and what it would mean to be in situations where I didn't know exactly what to do or where to go. And I had to right. kind of figure it out myself. I also didn't really know what it was going to be like to experience uh, to experience loneliness or homesickness mm. and the sense of, of, I don't know how I should spend this day or what I should, what I should right. do with myself right now. Um, to say nothing of the fact that I, I don't think I really fully grasped, and I don't know if I ever will, uh, I don't know if I do now, but I most certainly didn't really get why the communion of saints is so important. Mm. And there's something about studying in Rome when you walk down the street and there's another saint yeah. buried there, and then and you I go know. into the into the next church and there's there's a saint buried there, and this church has four saints in it, and this church has three saints in it, and every time right. you turn around, you're like looking at the tomb of another saint, right. and you're kind of leaning on them, relying on them for their for their prayer the sense of closeness to the saints is really brought home. And that's something that has changed my life completely. So I don't think I realized how I needed to be challenged uh, right. to to do some things, how I needed to be challenged to grow up. Um, hmm. And at the same time, I would always say that 
you should never send a guy to the North American College if he's not already mature. Like if he doesn't have a certain level of maturity. And I think I just barely crossed that threshold. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure even now that I crossed the threshold. But Father I, I just Sam, that is the story it. of my life. <laughs> How close but, to the bar were you? Really close. Yeah, really close. <laughs> like I squeaked in. The other thing is that it, it changes the way that you understand your vocation, and I didn't realize okay. that that would happen. I did not understand that by studying in Rome for five years, my understanding of the priesthood was going to be so informed by so many different factors and so many different things. There, there are things that you learn as a seminarian in Rome that are unique to being there. And we should actually have Monsignor Powers come on. Uh, he's the yeah. rector there. He's our diocesan priest here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, but he's the rector of the right. North American College. We should get him to come in and talk a little bit about some of those formative things. But like one of them is almost every day as you're on your way to or from school, because the you live at the at, in in Rome. The seminary system refers to the college as the house that you live in, and then the university is the place that you study. Okay, right. So the North American College is the place where you where you live, and then mm-hmm. the universities are where you where you study. So I met Dr. Nina Sophie Hirman at the Gregorian mm-hmm. University. She was my classmate. Friend of there. the show. Friend of the show. Uh, she was my classmate there. That's like mentioning a saint, but forgetting to use the prefix saint. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Well, Nina and I got to be friends and, (laughs) and and we met because we were studying at the university. So anyway, that's a big part of it, right? You go out and, and you end up studying with people from all over the world and you're studying not just with seminarians, but also with religious women, mm. religious men, with laymen and women, right. and so your your studying partners are expanded. Right. Most of the most of the time when you're at the seminary, you're studying just with other seminarians, so that right. kind of opens things up. Then you get the global perspective of where they're coming from. They're different countries, they're different language backgrounds, and everything. But then the thing that happens almost every day is you're on your way to class or back from class, and you bump into somebody who's looking for directions. And they just need to know how to get somewhere. And it's an American tourist or somebody from some other country and they're trying mm-hmm. languages out on you and you settle on one that you can both converse in. <laughs> and yeah, right. you have these conversations and it's never just about directions. Right, okay. There's also like a follow-up. What are you doing here? Hmm. And it, that's directed at you, the seminarian. Right. The number of times I told my vocation story to utter strangers. Really? The number of times I looked at my watch and said, you know what? I have an hour free right now. Uh, let me walk with you a little ways because it's on my way. And at the very least, I can walk. And you end up having a conversation with somebody because they're going in the same direction as you. Wow. And so as, as you're walking along, you talk to them about the different things that they're, that they're seeing, that they're experiencing. Uh, the missionaries of charity have a house right inside the Vatican walls. It's called Donor di Maria, and that means gift of Mary. That's the name of of their house. And they primarily serve homeless women there. And when I was a a priest, uh, my first year as a priest, I was back finishing a degree in Rome. Uh, And so I would go and I would say mass for them uh, every Sunday morning, super early. Mm. So I'd go for mass with them. And uh, Inevitably, I'd end up doing other stuff. Well, one day they called me and they said, hey, Father, we could use some help. They had an arrangement with one of the hospitals where the hospital would simply take care of anybody who they had who needed care and not charge anything, not ask for anything. Wow, really? Because they knew, yeah, they knew it was a charity case. But what they would always ask the sisters to do would be find us blood donors. We always need blood donors. Hmm. So they called me and they said, Father, can you give blood? And most of the sisters are not able to give blood because with the different places that they've served, most of them have either been exposed to too many different toxins and things right. like they've that. Right, they've disqualified themselves Yeah, or they've had malaria. basically. Yeah. Like they, they got right. malaria while they were serving someplace or something, right. whatever it is. So I said, sure, I can give blood. So I, I go to the hospital to give blood. And uh, as I'm, yeah, there's a... <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just, laughing because I'm laughing because they all just disqualified themselves because they've served too much. Yeah, <laughs> and so exactly. they, they call you and they're like, they're like, he's clean. Uh, yeah. get, get he's it. he's basically done nothing. He's never seen a poor person. Let's send him over there. You know? How how old are you at this point? Twenty four, twenty five. Uh, I was twenty five at this point. Yeah, twenty five. Yeah. Right. So, so listen, you, I, you were young. Yeah, there's a, a little train you can take to get out to this hospital. So I hop the train. Right. Twenty minutes. I'm there give blood. 
uh, get back on the train to come back. And uh, as the train is pulling in, there's a station called St. Peter's. The thing about okay. St. Peter's, the, the train station for St. Peter's is like four blocks away from St. Peter's. And when you right. when you come off the train platform, you can't see St. Peter's from where you're standing. So nice. it's, it's, it's loosely It's confusing. Named. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> right. it's sort of in the neighborhood. Well, there's a right. thing that happens on these Roman trains where everybody just packs in all around. And so the, this train is absolutely jammed you are like in somebody's armpit if you're standing close to them right which is brutal while you're in italy it's brutal it's a little bit of a warmer day you know all these things are happening and the uh you the train pulls up and there's doors on both sides of the train well it's we're pulled up on on one platform and i can hear these people having a conversation in english on the other side of me through this crowd of like there's 10 people squeezed into this little space and they're on the opposite side of that. And I know these people aren't getting off at St. Peter's. And I can also see mm-hmm. there's a crowd of people waiting to get on. And there's not really a whole lot of waiting for people to get off the train. It's just kind of a, a push and pull and everybody kind of right, gets yeah. on and gets off and everything like that. So it's going to be this crush of humanity. And so as the train's pulling up, I just reached through the crowd and I tapped somebody on the shoulder. And I said, you're getting off here? And they said, yeah. I said, come with me. And I like grabbed their hand and I pulled this family through the crowd off the train. So we get off the train and it's this, this woman and her sister and brother-in-law and said, how do we get to St. Peter's? I said, I'm going that way. I'll take you there. So as we start walking, they start asking, why are you here? What are you doing? And I explained that I'm studying uh, over here, that I'm finishing up a degree. Uh, I just been ordained a priest. And this turns into a whole other conversation. Uh, The, the woman who was there, her uh, sister and brother-in-law were visiting from the States. She was living there with her husband who was working for an international company and they had been posted to Rome. And mm-hmm. so they had lived kind of all over the world. So I ended up striking up this conversation. They said, are you free by any chance? Do you like, can you just tell us a little bit about St. Peter's? And I'm like, mm-hmm. sure. I don't know anything about St. Peter's. I'm not qualified to give a tour of St. Peter's Basilica, but you better believe I gave them a tour and a heck of a tour. (laughs) I took them to some of my favorite places around the Basilica. I talked to them about different things. Well, this turns into a whole other piece where like her sister and brother-in-law go home and she gets in contact with me and says, my my family and I want to have dinner with you. So they took me out for dinner. Which is great. That's honestly, that's why you're there. It's really just to get people to take you to dinner. Um, <laughs> Naturally. They, but they came to mass at the at the NAC one Sunday. So I got to have, mm-hmm. have them at mass, got to give them a tour of the seminary, um, got to talk to them about their faith. Their kids were young and, and they had questions about God and they were like, I think their son was getting ready for first communion. So he had all kinds of questions about about what this would mean. It's so like this little relationship was, was struck right. up in that time. Basically because I was on a crowded train and I heard some Americans. Right. That's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen anywhere else. So these right. like really unique, really special things. To say nothing of the fact that I got to be there when John Paul II died. I was I was at his funeral. I was there wow. when Benedict XVI was elected Pope. Uh, I went to a whole bunch of canonizations for different saints. I can't even remember who they are now. Wow, really? Uh, yeah. You, you, you just like it becomes part of what you do. Right. I mean, if you're a Catholic, it's a part of the culture. Yeah. You know, exactly. and it's this unique it's it's this unique opportunity to participate in the culture. Right. You just don't get it in other places. Yeah. So it's it's a special place. And I look back on it and I go, it was incredibly formative for me and and a huge blessing to have been able yeah. to do that. So I was I'm I'm super grateful that I had those years over there. Right. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> About 15 minutes ago, you mentioned that um, you did a a holy hour in different churches, a a different church every day. What was your favorite church to do your holy hour in? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Actually, can you just tell me some of them first and then, you know. Sure, sure. Well, I think that there there were two separate experiences at St. Peter's Basilica that were very, very powerful. Uh, okay. One was the day that we got to, we had chosen to make our holy hour at St. Peter's. And so I got to go and pray at the tomb of St. Pius X. So oh, as pastor wow. of St. Pius X, wow. I spent more time at his, and I, I've said mass at his tomb. I've, right. I've had the chance to say mass there. And this is going back. like Pre or post 
being pastor? All before I was pastor at St. Pius. Wow. Yeah, the crazy. So I had spent a summer here as a seminarian, and then I spent my first summer as a priest at St. Pius. And so when I went back as a student priest, I would go over to St. Peter's. And at the time, you could say mass at the upstairs altars early in the morning. Mm. They've changed that rule and it has worked out really poorly. And a lot of people are very upset and don't like it. And so I think they're going to rework it again. Uh, But anyway, they, I I used to like get the St. Pius X altar regularly. Um, Wow. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, this is cool. I was at this parish. I had no idea that I was going to get reassigned there as parochial vicar. And I had even less of an idea that I would ever get assigned there as pastor. So right. <laughs> now as pastor of St. Pius X, going and praying at the tomb of Pius X. Wow. Right. So was, do you think that he is like a patron saint for you? Do you see this as, as I don't know, throughout time, obviously, right? Well, you're at, you're on to something really important there, Matt. Like I felt so close to him this time around compared right. to before where I, I realized he's been, he's been interceding for me in a very powerful way all along. And I never right. realized it. I didn't right. fully understand it. So I spent a, a good chunk of time praying for the parish, praying for the people in the parish, right? Uh, but also just praying in thanksgiving for the gift of mm-hmm. being a pastor at this particular parish and asking for his help and then realizing wow. how many different ways he's helped me. Without ever, without me ever acknowledging it or understanding it, so it was that was a gift. But then across the basilica from Pius the Tenth is John Paul the Second, right? And so I finished. I did my first half hour with Saint Pius the Tenth, and my second half hour with John Paul the Second, and that was a gift too, just to be able to pray there uh, and to to ask for his intercession. But then several days later, uh, we had the chance to say mass at the Clementine altar down beneath okay. the basilica. The Clementine altar is a big deal. It's the altar that is closest to the tomb of Peter. As as you stand at the altar, uh, the other side of the altar is the tomb of Peter. So the altar is wow. pushed right up against that that tomb. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild. So Father John got this was the we we uh, chose him as the celebrant. There were a couple other priests uh, who joined us that day. Mm-hmm. Who were it was funny we stayed at the NAC and there was a conference for priests that was taking place at the Vatican. And so there were a whole bunch of priests, also alums of the, of the North American college who were there for the conference. And Mm -hmm. the, uh, the vice rector, Father Mike Pratt, who was two years, three years behind me in seminary, he thought that that's why we were there was, was for the conference. So we're like, no, we're not here for the conference. Did, we're did just... you know that the conference was happening or no? No, that was the best part. We found out wow, there was this so big just, conference. Wow, so you found out on. there was a priest conference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We didn't go, uh, but it was, yeah, it fair was happening. Right. So we, uh, anyway, we, we Yeah, you, we had, you had better that, plans. Honestly, I think we did. Like, <laughs> with all due respect to the tell, conference, I think I won't we had better plans. Yeah, great. <laughs> I'll just tell everyone on the radio. Um, Don't edit this anyway. part out. <laughs> <laughs> So we we go and we we get to have this time at the uh, at the Clementine altar. It's that just by itself is really beautiful. But after that, leaving the Clementine altar, before we went back upstairs, we stopped at the tomb of Benedict the Sixteenth. Wow! Because he's he's buried downstairs at the basilica, and so we right. got to spend a few minutes just praying at his tomb. And Matt, I was not prepared for some of the emotions that I felt standing wow. at that tomb. They always say that you have a special relationship with the Pope that was Pope at the time that you were ordained. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the square when he was elected, and a couple years later I was ordained, and Benedict was the first Pope whose name I mentioned in the in the Eucharistic prayer, right? Wow. And there's a special bond, I think, that you have, to say nothing of the fact that Joseph Ratzinger is my favorite theologian. Right, yeah. You know? And I prayed at his tomb. And there was there was just something different. There was just something different about being with him in in that way and asking for his intercession. Um, I wasn't expecting to feel the feelings that I felt. <laughs> right. You know? Right. The as 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 my uh, brother-in-law kindly referred to them as the Holy Spirit tingles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's things like I, I wasn't expecting to get a little teary there, but I did. Right. And it was really powerful. It was really yeah. beautiful. So what, that, I, what can I dig into that for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Um, teary, you know, what, 
what were you thinking about? You know, like why was it, was it because of the influence he's had on you as a theologian? It was a little bit of that. Um, there was a little bit of, man, I really miss you. Okay. I thought I, cause I thought that might be a part of it too, it was, because it's, yeah, it's like, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. There was, so praying at the tomb of John Paul II, praying at the tomb of Benedict the 16th, it was like, these were the two popes of my lifetime right who were most influential and to be able right. to like to pray with them and, and kind of remember right. how the example of the pope the life of the pope the the approach of the holy father the person of the holy father had such a huge impact on me and i missed right. those men in a very particular way right yeah they were the and it was like missing the feeling of closeness to the pope right, right. because that is something that I, I don't say this with any like disloyalty. No, I understand. But I I don't feel that right now. Yeah, yeah. And I miss that feeling. I want it. Like I I wish that I felt what I felt for uh, for John Paul and for Benedict. I wish that right. I felt that for Francis. Right, right. And it's it's hard being in that situation where you it don't is. feel it that way. It's incredibly yeah. difficult. It's incredibly difficult, and it's not something you are alone in feeling. Right. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, I I understand. So there, there was a little bit of just like being with Benedict, just feeling, I miss you, man. Yeah. Which I know sounds too casual to be talking to the Pope that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss you, Holy Father. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I, I, but but I hear you. The other one here's here's the joke, but also semi serious. Yeah. Uh, Pope Clement the Fourteenth is buried at the Church of the Twelve Apostles. Okay. And twelve Clement apostles the, is always the Fourteenth. Yeah, Pope Clement the okay. Uh So the Church of the Twelve Apostles, uh, St. Philip and St. James the Lesser are buried okay. at, at Church of the Twelve Apostles. It's another very favorite place of mine, okay. um, both because it's cool that you get to go and pray at the Tomb of the Apostles. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a great spot. I remember going there once um, during the Station Churches. So the Station Churches is a pilgrimage through Rome uh, every day during Lent. You get to go to a different church. Okay. And th there's a particular church for each day of Lent that's assigned as sort of the station. So it's a it's mm. a walking pilgrimage every day during Lent. You go to this church. Um, it has its roots, and the Pope used to go to visit different churches. And right. so on the during Lent, he would visit each of these different churches. And so the people would go and kind of follow the Pope around. So those became the stations. So <laughs> this one year... My friend, Sister Angela, who's an apostle of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, she was studying in Rome also, which was very cool having her in the city. And it was working out that every day I would walk into the station church and I would look for a seat and I'd sit down and I would look to my left or I'd look to my right and it would happen that the Sacred Heart was right there. There was an image of the Sacred Heart right next to me. Mm -hmm. Somehow I had chosen the spot closest to the Sacred Heart without looking and seeing the Sacred Heart first. Right. Right. Like it was just sort of happening that way. And I right. was noticing it. Right. And look, these are like little things. I don't I don't read too much into those kinds of signs, you know. But there was yeah. something about seeing that stuff. I was like, okay, this is cool. It was drawing my devotion to the Sacred Heart was growing. I was feeling drawn into the heart of Christ more and more. And this was a, a very cool thing. So I go into the Church of the Twelve Apostles and I sit down and I look to my left, no image of the Sacred Heart. I look to my right, there's no image of the Sacred Heart. I'm like, man, what happened? So I'm sitting there, literally right before Mass, a little annoyed that the Sacred Heart isn't somewhere close by. <laughs> okay. And then there's a tap on my shoulder and I open my eyes and I look over and Sister Angela is sitting down next to me, right. the Apostle of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Right, right. And I went, all right, Lord, that's cool. I don't care who you are. That's cool right there. That's right. better than, that's better. Right. As it turns out, I just, I missed where the image of the Sacred Heart was because the spot that I was sitting was close, but it was kind of behind a pillar. And I so see. I couldn't see it from where I was sitting. So right. I found it after Mass, but right. it was really cool. Sister Angela just came and sat down right next to me for Mass. So that, right. was, that was a fun one. Anyway, so at the Church of the Twelve Apostles, you'll also find the tomb of Clement XIV. Mm -hmm. Clement XIV is... Uh, famous for having suppressed the Jesuits. Wow. Okay. So once upon a time, the Jesuits were suppressed for a variety of reasons. Uh, some Fair of enough. them theological, some of them political. However you want to look at it, there's there's all kinds of different reasons. Whatever right. reason you choose to, to think the suppression happened, um, 
the Church of the Twelve Apostles is less than 100 yards from the Pontifical Gregorian University, which is the Jesuit University of Rome. Right. <laughs> and so on the last day of class, there is a tradition of going and leaving the Greg, and you'd come down the steps and walk down the block, and you'd turn, and you'd go into the Church of the Twelve Apostles, and you'd go to the tomb of Clement Fourteenth and say a prayer <laughs> because you made it through another year. At the end of the cycle, uh, you'd, you'd finish your degree there. There, was, there were some guys who would bring flowers Right. Uh, there was a group I heard of once who who went, they brought flowers, they prayed, and then they read the Bull of Suppression from Clement the Fourteenth. <laughs> right, right. I just thought it was hysterical. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, anyway, it's like the greatest of all Jesuit jokes is to pray at the tomb of Clement the Fourteenth. Right, right. Uh, so I got to do that. That was fun too. Right, right. But here's the here's the other one. I'm sorry. I mean, this is a long way of getting to, to an answer of your question. The other no, no. Great I, place I'm to pray. so happy you're taking this this detailed route. So okay, by all means, the other. The other great place of prayer was at the Church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. Okay. Santa Maria Sopra Minerva is the only Gothic church in Rome. Okay. Like truly Gothic church, which is very interesting because you don't think of Rome and Gothic. No. When you think of Gothic, you think of Notre Dame Cathedral, right? Yeah. You think of St. Patrick's Cathedral. You don't think of anything in Rome being Gothic, but it's actually yeah. a Gothic church. Very cool. It's right near the Pantheon. Right. So it's, it's kind of touristy, but like- mm-hmm. The tourists don't know that it's there. Right, right. So it kind of gets the outside skipped, is, cool. is touristy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But inside, under the main altar, you're going to find the tomb of Catherine of Siena. Wow. So Saint Catherine of Siena is buried there, except for her head and one of her fingers, which is are in Siena. Um, don't get into the cutting up and chopping up of saints with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is. I mean. I get why someone who doesn't understand our devotion to saints, you know, uh, that they see things like that and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get it. It is a little, it's a little odd. It's right? a little weird. Well, so Catherine of Siena, of course, is a Dominican. I didn't right? know she's that. Famous Dom- she's a Dominican saint. Yeah. And so wow. the, the Dominican order runs Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. Uh, Fra Angelico, who's a great artist, a great fresco artist, he's also buried there. Okay. There's also a statue by Michelangelo of the risen Christ that's right nearby. And it's one of the only ones that once upon a time you could go up and touch it. They now have a little rope around it that says, do not touch. Sure. But like it was the only Michelangelo statue I knew of that you could actually go up and put your hand on. Wow. And so that was cool. So that's, that's still there. Yeah. Obviously it's still there. Nothing changes in Rome. Right. Now anyway. you just have to reach over the rope to touch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to stop into Santa Maria Sopra Minerva all the time. It became one of my favorite churches in Rome. And in particular, my first year that I was over there, I had a friend who had just entered religious life. Okay. So my friend Michelle was with the Nashville Dominicans and she had entered uh, for her postulancy. And I would go and I would stop in there and I'd pray for her at the tomb of Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. Now, Michelle discerned out at the end of that year, mm-hmm. uh, and she discerned not to become uh, a religious sister, and uh, she's married now. Uh, she and her husband have seven kids, and uh, their their youngest is my goddaughter. Right. And so I told her before I went, I said, I'm going to go back and pray for you at Santa Maria Sopra Minerva at the tomb of Catherine of Siena, because I used to pray for you there all the time, mm-hmm. even, even after religious life. Right. Like, I would still pray for her whenever I went in there. Right. So I went in and I saw something I had never seen before. I lived there for five years. I stopped in there once a week, just about. I was there regularly. (laughs) I've gone back several times. It's been nine years since I went back, but I've gone back several times. And I walked into the church and I got up to the altar and the altar is, um, it's, it's marble, but there's a glass front to it so that you can see in to see where Catherine is buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got sort of a marble figure of her and she's buried underneath a marble right, figure. Right, That's that's pretty common for all, all like most it, saint tombs, right? Right, it's, yeah. it's not uncommon at all, right? Yeah. Well, so I go up to the altar and I look and I realize that behind the altar, first of all, there's access behind the altar, which that was always blocked off. But the door is also open behind the altar. And so I get up and I walk around and behind there, the door is open and you can actually go down under the altar and touch the tomb. Wow. Not only could you go down and touch the tomb, but they've got a table set up with note cards and pens. And there are covering Catherine's body. There are all these little notes that people have left prayer intentions right on wow. her tomb. 
Matt, I can't tell you how many times I've been in that church. I've never seen anything like this before. Right. Never, ever, ever have I seen anything like it. So I took a, a piece of paper and I wrote down Michelle's name, her husband's name, all their kids. Mm-hmm. And I took it and I held it to Catherine's body on the altar, like on the tomb. And I prayed for them and I left their names there. It was the coolest thing. Yeah, it's awesome. It was it's so awesome. cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, those moments. I, I So I've been to Rome once. Um, mm-hmm. Renee and I went for our honeymoon. And awesome. Did you guys do the, the Sposi Novelli blessing, the new spouse's blessing? We didn't. We didn't. Uh, um, I think that we just didn't sign up in time. <laughs> but um, yeah, we didn't. Um, oh, no, it wasn't we didn't sign up in time. It was that he wasn't doing it during July because okay. it, because of, I, I don't, I don't oh, know why, but he didn't. Yeah, it's he, pretty painfully hot in July. Right, right. So he wasn't, I experienced that as well. Um, but going to Rome for our honeymoon was really special because no matter what way you throw it, if you're going as a Catholic, it kind of turns into a pilgrimage, you know? It just yeah. does. Because one of the main things you can do in Rome is church hop. You know, and like you said, you go to, it's like, I remember like two weeks before, again, I didn't plan as well as I should have. Okay. But like two weeks before we went, right. I was like, I wonder what relics they have there. (laughs) Cause (laughs) all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Cause I was uninformed. And then like you Google it and it's like every saint you could possibly think of, there was a relic of. And so I'm like trying to be like, I'm like planning like, oh, okay. What? I actually found it was a, it was like an add on you could put on Google maps that you could, it would, it would be like, they have St. Augustine's relics here. They have St. Monica's relics here. <laughs> St. Padre, Padre Pio is here, here, and here, you know? And so I'm like trying to create routes, you know, <laughs> it wasn't fully updated, which was disappointing, but like, you know, so it, it, this, this, we took our, our wedding obviously very seriously now, but, but, from the faith perspective, we took it really seriously. Um, and so to kind of cap off our wedding with a honeymoon that was a pilgrimage was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. It was so special. Um, but while we were there, we got to go to St. Peter's. And we we also, I don't know if we did a full holy hour, but we did, we, we prayed in the Adoration Chapel in St. Peter's. And it was this incredible experience where, I mean, First of all, I walked into St. Peter's and I got disoriented. I was like, I don't know where the front of this building is. <laughs> this is the yeah, biggest building I've ever been in. <laughs> um, but, you know, so we we eventually found our way to this chapel kind of by accident. And you walk through the door and then, you know, I mean, there was there were these massive curtains that were soundproof curtains, you know, uh, sound dampening curtains. And you yeah. go through and then you, we walked into this chapel. And so we went from like super touristy St. Peter's to mm-hmm. the most beautiful adoration chapel I've ever stepped foot in. Also yeah. easily the largest, you know, adoration chapel I've ever stepped foot in. Isn't, isn't that spot incredible? It is incredible. I mean, I don't know. I, like I, at first, if I'm remembering correctly, admittedly, it's been a year and a half. So apparently I have the memory of a 76 year old, but um <laughs> I remember being like, where's the Lord? Like, where is he? Because it was like the monstrance was like way up high. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. like they build it up and it's like golden statues, you know? And like, and then like he's, he's there and it's just this like amazing experience of being in a sense, right? In the heart of the church, you know, at St. Peter's and like, there he is. And it's so obvious that it's taken seriously because they made sure there was a place to pray, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's a complaint lodged against Rome often that it's like, well, all these churches are tourist attractions now. And I I suppose there's some validity to it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I got asked to pay to go into any churches, Um, but a lot of them have a ton of sacred art and people want to see that, you know? And to the church's credit, the church, like she's trying to bring people in, you know what I mean? Who want to just see the art and then hopefully stick around for the Lord, you know? But, but regardless of that endeavor, you know, there was still the place to pray. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And so it was just well, really that, special to get to go there. I think that's a huge, a huge piece. Um, that there's these beautiful places that are just open. Come and see. Right. Right. So right. the invitation is there through the artwork, through the architecture. But the reality is, it's not just that it's beautiful architecture. It's not just that it's beautiful art. It's that it's sacred. Right. This is a place where you're going to find God. And a lot of times we can we can overlook that. We just kind of get into the touristy stuff of like, I'm going to see these magnificent buildings. But that's really not the point. I remember I used to do work with college students who were studying abroad in Rome. And we offered to a group of them, um, we put together a, like a mini pilgrimage. We were going to go visit five churches. And while we were there, we were going to explain the saints that were buried there. Mm-hmm. And we were, it was really to visit the different saints. And this guy signed up to come with us. And I was really surprised because he didn't come to mass. He didn't join us for any of the other spiritual life stuff that we had offered, but he knew that we were there. I had met him. We had had conversations, but he had never shown up for anything. And so I asked him as we're walking into the first church, I said, what, what brought you tonight? What was it that got you? And he said, you guys are the first ones who offered to tell me what the church is really here for. Hmm. Every other one, it's always been like an art history tour. It's always been something to talk about the architecture. Mm-hmm. You guys are the only ones who actually can tell me why this church is here. Right. And I was really blown away by that because he understood that there was something beyond, something deeper than just the architecture. The art's beautiful and it's it's priceless. And right. It's there for everyone to consume. It's there for everyone to see. That's That's the other beautiful thing about it is that that art serves no one except for serving everyone. Right. Like unlike a painting that I hang in my house and that I get to keep for myself, the art in these churches is is not for any one person in right. particular. It's for everyone, and it's theirs. Like these masterpieces of art, um, they are there so that everybody can have that sense of beauty in their life, you know. And it's it's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. So uh, I, I suppose a final question. Actually, I have two questions. Oh boy. Uh, the the first one. If you just had to pick a, one highlight moment from the trip, right? Like the memory that you will keep, you know, till the day you die. <laughs> You're going to die, Father Sam. <laughs> right? But w- what would that memory be? Uh, well, there's there's two things that jumped out at me from, from this trip. Uh, one, well, both kind of typical Roman experiences. Okay. One thing you have to understand is there's a lot of beggars in Rome. And okay. you, you can try to be very charitable, but there's there's a limit to what you can do because there are so many. You can't give everybody something. And sometimes you literally don't have anything to give. Mm-hmm. And so I was approached by uh, a gypsy lady. And you also learn which beggars are, are really begging and which are, are more like out to try to distract you so they can pick your pocket or something like that. Right, yeah. So you, you, you get kind of a sixth sense about it and everything. And, and every alarm was going off as this lady came up to ask me for something. And she pretty aggressively started insisting that I had to give her something. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have anything I can give you. And it was true. I didn't have anything that I could give her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's getting like pretty, pretty aggressive with it. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. I, I don't have anything. Um, and she told me in very colorful Italian what I could do to myself. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was like, I, I think we had been in Rome for 27 hours at that point. So right. it's like, all right, there it is. Right. So that was really fun. But the other one that I, I got was uh, to bring back Nina, our, our friend of the show, Nina Hiraman. She had mentioned to me that a classmate of ours had entered a monastery in Rome. And I thought, while I'm here, it mm. would be great to pop into this monastery and see if I could at least leave a note. I don't know if she's if she's able to like receive visitors or anything, but it'd be great right. to like try to drop in. Well, like an idiot, I went to the wrong monastery for a completely different <laughs> religious order because I mixed them up and could not for the life of me remember what the religious order was. So oh, I picked the wrong so one, funny. went to the wrong house, but I, I went into this into this monastery and I asked at the porter's office, so like the reception desk basically, yeah. I, I went in and I said, is there any chance that this woman's here? And they said, no, we don't have anybody by that name, nobody from that country. I'm really sorry, Father. <laughs> nobody, and nobody from that country. <laughs> Exactly. Like this was this was how crazy it was. And I'm oh man, I'm really disappointed. So I'm talking to the lady at the at the desk. And we're trying to figure out where it might be. And she's going through some other monasteries that she knows, like that are, are monasteries with a cloister and everything. Right. And none of them fit. And I was just kind of disappointed in it. Then I happened to look to the side and sitting on the counter at this desk was an envelope addressed to somebody. And I, I 
the envelope caught my eye and I looked at it and I realized that the return address on the envelope, the return address was a street in Fairfield, Connecticut that I go past every day because it's in my parish. No way. And so there was a, she, the woman explained to me that there's some college students uh, who study there and they use the convent as their mailing address. This is where they pick up their mail. And so this, this young woman was getting a piece of mail from Fairfield, Connecticut. And I just happened to, the pastor of the place where this mail came from, right. just happened to walk in looking for somebody who didn't exist in this monastery. Right. Right. <laughs> right? And it was like, here's the thing. That is not an out of the ordinary experience. It right. sounds like too small, too small of a world, too no. too big of a coincidence, right? That kind of thing is not unusual in Rome. Right. It's not unusual to have something like that happen. My friend Father John and I went and had lunch at a restaurant. And as we came out of the restaurant, there was a guy standing there who had been with his wife at another table in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so he's standing there and he said, Hey, Father, excuse me do you study at the Gregorian University? And I said, no, but I did a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, oh, and he introduced himself. He's from Casper, Wyoming. I said, you're from Casper, Wyoming. Any chance you know Father Steve Titus? He goes, he's one of my closest friends. Right. Steve Titus was my classmate in seminary, right. and I studied with him at the Gregorian University. Right. right. So here I am meeting this guy from Wyoming right. at a restaurant in Rome, in Rome yeah. who happens to know the one guy from Wyoming that I know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Super well. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're personal friends. So we right. took a picture and sent it to him and it was great. Right. But this is the thing. It's not that unusual. And that's the beauty of the Catholic world because you start to realize, and, and I think you've already discovered this quite a bit. Yeah. The Catholic world is really small. Yeah. And and there's a beauty, and I think the communion of saints helps to emphasize that. Yeah. When, when you realize the closeness of, of the saints and and how like how connected we are to them, but also how connected the saints are to each other. When you start realizing who some of these saints and how they knew each other, how they were mm-hmm. contemporaries, like just buddies. Right. You know, pals. It's it's, a, it's amazing. It. it gives me hope for you and I. Yeah, that's the spirit, Matthew. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, the, the last question that I'll ask you is, and this is the million dollar question. We were texting back and forth throughout this trip. Um, what, who, who rather, were the patron saints that you chose for your various well, ministries? Yeah. So obviously, I mean, Pius the 10th, I think has to be close. Uh, I can't, I can't do without Pius the 10th right, right. Uh, just because he's, you know, I'm the pastor of his parish and everything. John Paul II is always going to be a huge one for me. Okay. I, I cannot escape John Paul II. He is, he is so dear to my heart. And I think especially in, in like what we're trying to do, which is evangelize and, and to use this to have important mm-hmm. conversations about the faith, but to recognize how everything is, is in some way connected. John Paul really had a beautiful way of, of bringing the faith to every corner of the world mm-hmm. and for making it something that fit into everything. So to really like see John Paul II as, as a patron. And then I really appreciated your suggestion uh, that Philip Neary could be one too. Because mm-hmm. Philip Neary, I think, as a, as a preacher, he's called the second apostle of Rome. Right. Uh, and in fact, the church that it, it was closed every day, I tried to go in. But uh. Chiesa Nuova, Chiesa Nuova means the new church. Chiesa Nuova is like 600 years old. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but in Rome, that counts as new. You know? Right, so. right, right. <laughs> You're only 600 years old. But, but Philip <laughs> Neary- Baby. <laughs> Philip Neary used to be at a church. Uh, I can't remember what street it was on. Uh, I think it was on the Via Giulia. I'm not sure. Anyway, but he, he was he was at this church, and he was attracting so many people. So many people were coming to hear his sermons. So many people were coming to to uh, to listen to him that they they had to ask him to build a new church. Yeah, it's awesome because his was too small. So they built Chiesa Nuova as a much larger place that could accommodate that. Mm-hmm. But his his efforts at evangelization, at teaching the faith, um, at teaching both through his words, through his teaching, like through the very, the very clear and solid, digestible way that he had of, of handing on the faith, mm-hmm. but also his care for the liturgy, his care for 
the way that the church was kept. Mm. He wanted the, the faith to be handed on also just through what you experienced when you came to Mass. Mm. So he understood that the liturgy had to be something that was transcendent and that spoke to the heart through that means. Wow. That you could get to people's hearts even if you didn't convince them with your arguments. Something right. about the beauty of liturgy could do that. The other thing is that like the liturgy can speak to how we ought to be, kind of like helps us to cultivate the proper dispositions of the heart. Mm-hmm. So Philip Neary, like famously, he would send, if he saw somebody leave Mass early, having having come to receive communion, if he saw them leaving Mass before Mass was over, the altar servers were instructed to follow that person with a bell. And they would ring the bell following the person so that people would know the blessed sacrament was passing by. Like the Eucharist is wow. coming and this person who's just received has like some little kid chasing after them with a bell. Can you imagine how humiliating that would be? Can you? That's like, so funny. That's so I'm funny, a 45-year-old man and I'm I walking will. down the street and there's this little kid following me ringing a bell. I don't know why he's ringing a bell, but people keep genuflecting and this is getting weird and uncomfortable, you know? But I Philip love also that. Did, yeah. But he would also do things like he shaved half of his beard off, right? I right, told you about right. that. Right, well, you, we've when, talked when about that. Yeah. Right. He like he shaved half his beard just to make people laugh. Right. So there's I think I think Philip Neary's another good one. Um Well, so so on the on the topic of Philip Neary, um when we were talking about this, not one day later, I got a text from Renee's uncle Ken, so my uncle Ken, right, by marriage. Um who is who's a Catholic and and a dev, a devout Catholic. Just Without any words, I think, just an article describing the life of St. Philip Neri. Right? We had just talked about it. And I was yeah. like, I was like, well, that feels like a an affirmation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, well, that, that I that I should be asking St. Philip Neri to pray for us in the tangent. And okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> you know? So I, that's why I was I was I was interested to hear what you would have to say. Um yeah. all right, all right. So any other ones or no? No, I think I think that's good for us to yeah. to, to stop the litany there. <laughs> <laughs> the litany of three. <laughs> well, of course, you you have your own that you can add. Like you're yeah. you're allowed to add to this also. So that's if there's true. anybody that you think, Matthew. That's true. Who do you well, think? I I often find myself praying to Saint Maximilian Kolbe. Um, nice. Now, admittedly, St. Maximilian Kolbe is the patron of Veritas. Uh, so I think he can be patron of two things. No, no. Well, I mean, like, I have a predisposition towards it is all I mean. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, no, that's hilarious, though. Um, and then I ask for St. John Chrysostom to pray for us. Um, oh, I prayed it. I prayed at his at his. Well, sort of like I couldn't really get up to the altar itself because it was behind right. a, a closed gate. But I I prayed there for us as well. Right, as close as to the altar as you could get. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I I mean I just ask Our Lady to pray for us and and Saint Joseph and Saint Michael and like the the big ones for sure. You know, not that the other ones like, are quote the, smaller. No, the, but you know, we call that the standard issue boilerplate saints that you have to include no matter what, right? Right. right. The standard issue. Clement Sixtus Cornelius. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know. So I, I definitely, but I definitely find myself actually. I I asked for John Paul II's intercession as well. Above my work awesome. desk, I have a framed picture of him. Uh, so I I often am reminded to pray for him. On this side of the wall, I have a painting by Van Gaek, not Van Gogh. Van Gaek. And on that <laughs> side of the wall, I have John Paul II. So we'll let you guys just determine, you know, which side is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could switch those so that when, when I talk to you, I can see John Paul II right, instead right. of Van yeah, Gaek. Yeah. Van Gaek. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, man. Van Fake, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, I'm glad. I mean, obviously, I knew you were going to enjoy your pilgrimage. You know what I mean? But it sounds like it was very spiritually fruitful, so I'm I'm happy to yeah. do that. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was a good time. So it was good to good to do that. And it, honestly, it became very good preparation uh, for what we're now in, which is the holy season of Lent. Yeah, so that Amen. was good. Thank yeah. Cool. All right, man. I got to run. Alrighty. See you next it time. It is beautiful to talk to you and to see you again. Yeah, you I too. missed you, buddy. I know. I missed you. I know. <laughs> it's just not the same when it's only texts. <laughs> All right, I'll see you next time. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. Peace. 
Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the Tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.